KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM and streaming online at KBOO.FM. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Engineering Committee meets on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is email. Listening to Trans Positive here on KBOO Community Radio. Tonight we're talking with Mickey and Juliet about Mickey's new play, My Perfectly Valid Objections. Mickey and Juliet, welcome to Trans Positive. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Emma. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. If we if we could all go around and introduce ourselves um, and also share your pronouns and if you'd like to share a little bit about how you're doing today or what's going on with you um let's do that first and then we'll uh get to mickey and juliet and talk about their new play i'll go first i'm jean bryant um she her hers and at the time of the recording of this show um we are just on the heels of hearing about the Colorado Springs mass uh, shooting. And um, before we started this recording, we were chatting about that and we're all very impacted by that. And, um, <clears throat> but no, this is about trans trans involvement, trans representation in the arts and not just from a perspective of a, ah, you know, some actress or actor, you know, being, you know, involved in some show. No, this is very much very Portland based and um, very focused on uh the authors, the playwrights, the producers of shows that are available right here in the Portland, Vancouver area. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I can go next. Uh, this is Nicolette, they, them pronouns. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little emotionally exhausted today because it's the Trans Day of Remembrance and we also just had the vigil for it yesterday. And, you know, along with having this shooting come at such, you know, a, a heartbreaking time for a lot of us, it's it's a lot to take on. But I am glad that we're doing the show today to talk about something more positive. It's just, I do think that it's important to keep in mind what we're honoring and remembering today. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. This is Mickey Gillette. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I'm, you know, happy to be here, uh, getting to discuss 
the new play with with all of you and i'm uh grateful to you for having me on again uh i think like everyone my heart goes out to uh the victims and their loved ones in colorado springs it was really disturbing to learn about that news but um yeah i'm happy to be here for this discussion uh, my name is juliet malone she her um uh, yeah it's it's rough uh doing uh <laughs> an interview about uh this light-hearted play about you know interpersonal relationships while being trans um under the the cloud of uh, something so tragic that keeps happening and um you know that's it's not um accidental we keep being targeted and uh It, I would love to live in a world where um, trans stories didn't center tragedy. <laughs> Hi, my name is Emma and I use she and her pronouns. And I'm also emotionally devastated right now by what happened in Colorado Springs. Um, even though we're here tonight to celebrate the arts and um, especially some really amazing and accomplished uh, writers and actors uh, who are producing trans-based art. Um, it's hard to not be affected by things that happen to us. Um, and I'm gonna really be focused tonight on this really amazing community of artists that we have here in Portland and this really amazing community of support that we have here with the transgender community, because I think part of the reason we all live here in Portland um, is because we are trying to get away from that. We're trying to move towards something that's really positive and affirming of our trans identities. We know how beautiful we are as people, and we know how amazing we are and the incredible things and gifts that we have to offer to other people. And so even though by the time you hear this, it's going to be long past this tragedy and you'll probably forget about it. I just want to hold space right here to remember it and also to celebrate the arts, which is a way of affirming life in the face of tragedy. So thank you everyone so much for joining us here tonight. Let's shift now to kind of a positive focus and let's talk with Mickey and Juliet about their new play, My Perfectly Valid Objections. Mickey, Juliet, welcome to Transpositive. Thanks, Emma. Uh, glad to be here. Great. So let's start, first of all, by just getting a little sense of what your play is about. Um, let's start with just the, the basics. What is your play about and where is it going to be performed? Uh, great. Yeah. So I, my little tagline for this play is that it's a feminist comedy about dating while trans. Uh, so you'll see a lot of trans women going on dates, first dates with cisgender men, and the dates are kind of uh, a comedic way to explore all the pitfalls that exist uh, for women and especially for trans women uh, in our patriarchal society trying to date and find love. And the play is gonna be site-specific. It's at Oblique Coffee Roasters, which is at 3039 Southeast Stark Street, uh, 97214. And it's running from February 10th through February 26th. Great, thank you. And Juliet, why don't you talk about uh, the play a little bit from your perspective too? What is the play about to you? Well, um, I get to um, play a couple of different trans women uh, going on dates, and uh, it's it's an ensemble piece, and so we take on multiple roles, and it part of it is hilarious uh, just because a lot of it is highlighting the the absurdity that 
uh, is placed on on being trans and trying to um, function normally uh, and how invisible that can be to um, the cis people and like the predominantly cis society we, we exist within. Um, so there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of heart um, and um, it's it's really fun getting to to bring that to the stage and share these sort of quirky um, uh, just odd social interactions that you know I think are invisible to most people. Thank you. Um, so dating while trans, that's like a, this whole topic. And it's it's something that is not part of cis heteronormative, like cultural conversation. I mean, I, I think that most people within mainstream, like cis het culture, don't really think about some of the challenges that trans folks face when we're dating. No way. And within the trans... No. And within the trans community, we don't talk about this nearly, I think, as much as we should. So can you talk about what inspired you, Mickey, to write a play about dating while trans? Yeah, yeah. In the theater world, there's um, there are little festivals of 10-minute plays that happen, and they're good ways if you're breaking into try to get your work seen, to get it published, writing a 10-minute play. And I was invited to do one by uh, a dear departed theater company in town called Post 5. They invited me to write something for a Valentine's Day um, showcase they were doing. And I thought, me, because I usually write sort of darker stuff like the queers, <laughs> what do I know about romance? But I ended up writing something that was uh, kind of funny because I at the time I was doing a lot of healing from uh, like trauma from sexual assault and I wrote a play that was a blind date and the woman couldn't stop talking but talking about her fear of being sexually assaulted <laughs> and I, I just thought it was so perverse and fun and and the audience really loved it um, and it showed me like you can really explore topics in a date because everyone knows what a date's like and everybody knows how awkward a date is and everybody kind of wants love to work and so you can bring up troubling things or you can have characters really give voice to kind of the subtext like you're talking about of a lot of dating and that can become the drama and you see like oh can these people overcome this or are these problems so big that it's going to keep them apart so I wrote a lot of these because they were fun and they're like you're saying there's just a lot of topics to bring up about dating while trans and so it felt like there was always some new idea to explore in one of these and I love these these short plays I wrote and I was like oh I, I wish I could do something with these more than just submit them around to different places and so I started working with Asai Dean uh, who was the director of the queers and who runs the company Salt and Sage Productions, which is producing this one. And I said, can you help me make this into a full night that you know feels like a real play? And so we started working on the structure and I really love the way it's come out and I can't wait to share it with audiences. Thank you. Um... So uh, Mickey or whoever wants to answer this, um, it, is the issue of non-binary bodies and non-binary dating, et cetera, addressed in the play at all? Any sort of gender non-conforming uh, perspective, is that addressed? Uh, no, no, I wish it was. No, this play is pretty um, pretty heterosexual. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's all trans women and cis men. Um, and that would be fun. I have written a short play called The Case Against Love that has two non-binary people uh, on a date. And it, for this one, because the majority of the, the plays were about this one topic, we just didn't feel like that one would fit thematically, but maybe in the future. Thank you. Um, so 
Mickey, um, tell us a little bit about your process of writing this vignette that you write. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the characters and um, what are some of the outcomes of their dates? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, the, there's kind of a variety. Some of the women are really confident and come in kind of like, uh, I don't know if I want to do this because there's just a lot to put up with. <laughs> and some of them are a little more downtrodden and are worried whether they're going to be accepted. So you see kind of a variety of viewpoints and challenges that they have. Uh, and then, yeah, some of the topics explored uh, include like, you know, people wanting to know about surgery, you know, sort of people asking questions they shouldn't. There's one date where a person hadn't read uh, the woman's profile and didn't know she was trans and that becomes a discussion. Uh, some of the dates end well and some of them uh, and poorly, but in very funny ways. <laughs> and I think um, what I will say is that uh, I think trans people will be happy to see the representation because um, the women are all really smart and sharp. And like, even if they're not in the best place when it starts out, none of them uh, really take anything that they shouldn't from the men that they're involved with. Um, Juliet, can you tell us a little bit about um, some of your characters in the play? Like, what happens to your characters when they go out on a date? Well, um, we are still in the process of finalizing roles. Um, so I can I can tell you that uh, almost definitely um, uh, quite a few of the characters suffer from a bit of uh, foot and mouth disease and will over explain the position which is where a lot of the comedy comes from and it's so uh, it's it's a fun perspective to get to play with and it'll be fun to see um, the I'm really excited for the different approaches we get to take to each of the vignettes and the different characters. Um, so uh, I will be looking forward to finding the answer to that question a little bit more uh, alongside everybody who comes and sees it. <laughs> well, let's open up this next question to everyone here, including like our hosts. Let's talk about dating for a minute, just from a more general cultural perspective as trans and non-binary people. And then maybe we can loop some of the things that we've talked about back into your play. Would that be okay with everyone? Sure. Sure. Great. Great. So it sounds like, you, I think you said your play is a comedy. Is that right? Oh, Mickey? yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's the intent. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about dating that in general, whether you're trans or non-binary or there's nobody here who's hat, but you know, if you were, what are some of the things about dating that make it such a humorous experience? Why is it such a rich source of comedy? Anyone who would like to comment on that, but I assume Mickey, you would probably have something to say about that since you just wrote a play about it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, it's on it's kind of similar to a job interview in that if it goes well, your whole life is going to change. And so you have this vision of like, right now, you know, maybe I'm not with someone, but if this goes well, you know, I might share my life with this person. And that's just so much weird pressure and anxiety to put onto, you know, maybe an hour long meal <laughs> or <laughs> a coffee date. And, 
So I think that's some of where it comes from. And, and, and you can't really hold all of that or process that in the moment. It's just like you're flooded with all this emotion. Yeah. Would anybody else care to comment on that subject of why is dating a source of comedy, whether you're cis or hat or non-binary or trans, whatever kind of experience you have, why is it a source of comedy? Sure. Um, I actually, I'm... I'm also a comedian, and I had I used to have this bit that I would do a lot I, that I haven't used recently. But um, it, it's uh, the the joke was is like being trans and dating is kind of like being Schrodinger's queer. Um, you know, whoever's attracted <laughs> to me is. Did you say being Schrodinger's queer? Yes, I did. Uh, it's, <laughs> and I know, assume that, that, that's a reference to, is, to Schrodinger's cat, right? That's correct, yeah. Whoever's <laughs> attracted to me is experiencing a quantum state of their sexuality of both being gay and straight. So, um, yeah, and I, I as, as a person who does go on dates, it, it can be really interesting. Um, as, I mean, I nowadays I don't go out on dates with a lot of cis people because I uh, I don't want to do a lot of educating, um, <laughs> and that ends up being largely what happens. Um, and uh, the and so. Now, I don't know. I think that the reason that dates are inherently funny is because I think, like, for one, most people date, and I think most people hate it. So, like, <laughs> anything that it that most people experience that they have a sort of dread around is instant uh, comedy fodder, because... <laughs> We all have strong opinions on it, and we want to see those manifest. We we love to commiserate. That's that's what a lot of comedy is. Is like somebody gets it, and uh, that's why we laugh. We laugh to be relieved of this tension. And um, so I I think you know, it's it, the, dating and comedy goes together like you know, the peanut butter and sandwiches. Peanut butter and sandwiches, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I, I, I would just say that from my own perspective, it has less to do, much less, maybe 180 degrees. I, you know, it, it, I suppose it's arguable, but, um, you know, with where, who I am, where I am, and where the other person is. Um, I, am significantly affected by the anticipation of where this unknown person is coming from. Um, and so does that affect, you know, my posture? Of course it does. Of course it does. And, you know, it's, it's risky. I guess I, I, I just want to interject that into, you know, the conversation because while it may not be directly, uh, you know, pertinent to the, um, to the, you know, the show that you guys have to have produced, it's, absolutely relevant to our existence we don't we never know where this other person is coming from that's a great point Jean. yeah yeah no, thanks that, for sharing that, that kind of anxiety and that kind of threat does come up in a few of the dates too in the play nicolette nicolette i'd like to ask you a question um so as someone who is um, poly and non-binary, how is dating, can dating be a source of comedy within poly and non-binary communities too? 
Oh, absolutely. I think that, I mean, I've definitely experienced a lot of having to explain over and over what my gender is, what my sexuality is, what my relationship arrangement is, you know, um, and it, it gets so confusing for cishet people who are monogamous and just can't wrap their heads around this. Um, I know I have some amount of privilege for passing as cis, but I, I, I feel like I struggle with having to explain to particularly cishet men over and over, I'm not a woman. If you date me, you're not gonna be dating a woman. Don't expect what you typically get out of dating a woman because that's not going to happen, you know? And I, as someone who has dated men, women, and non-binary people, I can attest they are very different experiences. Whatever gender you're dating, it's it's very different. Um, and then the polyamory, of course, becomes, you know, uh, another issue to have to explain to people over and over. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a lot of explaining and a lot of people really not understanding it because it's just not the norm. Yeah. And Jean, you were commenting on how there's risk involved. And if it's okay if I say this, I, I hope. I just wanted to ask if as, an, as, as um, someone who has aged well and is someone who might be considered a little bit older, how is dating for folks who have aged well and are transgender? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I, I thank you for interjecting that perspective because there's a huge difference between someone who is in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or, <laughs> um, and I'll stop there. Um, because I'm uh, rapidly approaching, you know, the other, um, and it, you know, that it's not a single answer. It's not a single answer. It's not a single perspective. Um, and that's, you know, that there's my answer to your question on best I can. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're talking tonight with Mickey, um, uh, playwright Mickey Kijillette, Juliet Milan. We're talking tonight with Mickey Gillette and Juliet Milan. Uh, Mickey is the playwright and Juliet is um, an actor in um, My Perfectly Valid Objections. Um, Mickey, uh, we're about halfway through the show. Can you tell us once again uh, where uh, a little bit about the play and where people can see it when when it when it's when when it's uh, being be, be, being made available to the public. Yeah, definitely. So My Perfectly Valid Objections is a comedy about dating while trans. Uh, it's a site-specific show, meaning it won't be in a theater. It will be at Oblique Coffee Roasters, which is a really lovely coffee house on 3039 Southeast Stark Street, 97214. It's going to be running from February 10th through February 26th. Thursday through Saturday, we'll have 7.30 shows, and on Sundays, it'll play at 6 p.m. If you want to find out more and get tickets, you can go to saltandsageproductions.com. Great. Thank you. I would like to bring it back to what Mickey and Gillette's show and, you know, is, is, is all about. So, um, and you can edit this question out. It's fine. Um, but Mickey and Gillette, you know, how many generational experiences do you represent in the show? Oh, yeah, that's because uh, they're significantly different. They're significantly different. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, um, I mean, in the play. The characters are described as being in their 20s and you know we can't have too big a cast just because you have to pay everyone unfortunately <laughs> yeah you, i mean you can't you can't you know bridge the you know entirety of the lived experience i understand that. I, I don't come cheap and i only play yeah. young so <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, when you're working with a star like Julia and her demands, there's going to be a trailer outside the coffee house each night. It's it adds, fun. but I'm worth it. Okay, I, and, and Emma, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interject and give you an editing challenge here, but um, yeah, I think this is a significant piece. Sure. Yeah, and I would. Yeah, I, I would welcome anybody else who wants to write on this topic and depict another age group. I, I think you're right that it's a really rich topic and there's a lot to explore. Uh, I think we do a good job in this one of kind of depicting what it's like for sort of younger online people who are taking on this experience, but there's room for so many more trans stories to be shared. Well, great. Thank you. I, I think we understand now that there's a lot of different kinds of experiences of dating. And uh, we're just really happy to have a chance to talk about all of those and also to really focus on uh, what you've produced, uh, which just sounds really rich. So um, getting to the subject of your play, um, Mickey, yeah. um, you mentioned that in the in the play, there are some things that are maybe taboos that um, might also be part of a source of comedy. Um, what are some of the taboos that routinely come up um, either in your experience or when you've workshopped it with other people who've brought it up? What are some of the taboos that come up that like, you know, maybe come up over and over again when you're dating while trans that like maybe are part of uh, some of your big now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the one I mentioned was uh, there's a person who is kind of persistent about asking uh, one of or his date about the the sort of her surgical status, um, getting harassed uh, on those sites or on those apps is another thing that's talked about a lot. Uh, and then you know things. I don't know if it's taboo or not, but there is discussion about in in the first date. A character named Terry says to the person she's on a date with, "You're cute." But um, politically speaking, opposite sex dating is a losing game for women. <laughs> and, and so that's, it's kind of a theme that comes up. Like, you know, we, I think we're hardwired to want love and to experience, you know, the romantic fulfillment. But there's also, um, I think for me as a trans woman who transitioned in adulthood, uh, it was a real awakening for me, having been forcibly socialized as male and learning to see the world that way and suddenly having this uh, loss of status and kind of having my eyes open to um, to prejudice that has to do with gender and even more having to do with being trans. That's kind of a topic that I don't feel like we talk about a lot, but that is a, a major theme of this play. It almost sounds like a kind of loss. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then the characters have to negotiate that. They're like, I want this thing in my life, but I also, I'm not just going to bury this or minimize this. This is something I'm experiencing. So do the characters in your play, do they um, do they ever have any happy endings to their dating experience? Yeah, yeah, they do. I think Juliet made a joke about me once about how uh, how kind and tolerant the men are in these plays. <laughs> uh, so they, they do find some good matches sometimes. <laughs> uh-huh. Like what's, can, can you give us an example of a good match that happens in My Perfectly Valid Objections? Yeah, well, in that first date, um, you know, the the woman is so vigilant that she isn't really giving her date a chance to talk. But it turns out he has a trans brother and he was a gender studies major. And so <laughs> he's someone who's ready to engage on topics like that. So that's one example. So it's somebody who is a little bit informed about the trans community and so knows how to ask the appropriate questions and understands a little bit about the kind of conversations that get negotiated in 
in dating. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a case. There's another case where um, as the date goes on, um, one of the men kind of discloses that that he's always wanted to explore um, sort of kink and things like that, but has never felt um, the space to be able to voice things like that. And so it, that date goes in a totally different direction than you might have thought from the beginning. So there are a few times where people are um, either informed or that they, they have kind of matching um, interests, I guess. I so yeah. totally appreciate I so totally appreciate the um, uh, that representation because it addresses what I was, uh, you know, interjecting um, a moment ago, uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, in terms of a generational difference. Um, I think at least to a certain perspective, um, in that um, I would assume that a male based you know perspective in a dating relationship would be coming from you know what you were describing with a you know with a softening uh or an acceptance or something like that which is encouraging it's it's very in you know what you just you're describing there in your representation in the play is a hope <laughs> some form of hope for yeah. those of us who are you know older <laughs> right yeah thank you. oh yeah thanks for your comment so um nicolette i wanted to ask you while we're listening to this conversation just again if um I, i'd like to ask you nicolette when you um are negotiating uh or when people within your polycule are negotiating dating with people who maybe um, are cishet. Well, well, first I wanted to ask, just so we make sure to include you in the conversation, Nicolette, do you as a non-binary poly person ever date people who are cishet? And if you do, uh, men, how do you, how do you like have those conversations with them? Uh, do you ever find men who are adequately informed about non-binary bodies or about poly relationships or is that something that's just a complete foreign territory to that sort of a person honestly i have not dated cishet men in a long time because mm -hmm. of the fact that they so often are so <laughs> uninformed and it's like they expect me to be a woman and expect me to fit into all of their narrow little social norms and it's just not going to happen with me and so I, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm mostly dating either cis women or trans and non-binary people because they're the only ones that seem to understand and, you know, that I can actually reach some understanding with and connection with. And even cis women a lot of times have a hard time understanding too. Sorry, my cat just walked in front of my phone. Um, yeah, cis women a lot of times have a hard time understanding too. So most of the people I've been dating for the past several years have been trans or non-binary. Um, oh, yeah. My, my group, yeah. Um, and and I, I just feel like that's the way I can be best understood is by dating other trans people because I don't have to do as much explaining of my gender for them to get it. Yeah. Mickey, do any of your characters ever come to a similar conclusion? Like they're just going to date other transgender people because they're just sick of trying to explain things to like to cis people? Oh, let's see. Uh, I don't think anyone voices that exactly. Uh, there are definitely, when they're talking amongst themselves, they do talk about the shortcomings of cishet men and the difficulties of finding, you know, kind of knowledgeable people in the way that Nicolette was talking about. But that's not exactly something that comes up in the play. Juliet, in your experience with dating in your real life, do you ever talk to people who come to similar conclusions? Like they're just aggravated with trying to explain themselves to cis people and they're just going to date trans people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, T for T for life right here, baby. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know, it's... It, it's it is i nicolette i respond or i resonate so much with what you're saying of just like 
it's kind of like dating other trans people is just like easy mode in comparison. I think there's also something really interesting. And I think that this play kind of it either like inadvertently highlights or accidentally highlights it's just like how different like heterosexual dating is versus queer dating, even when one of the people is trans. And I think that it's either like accidentally or intentionally or who knows, like one of the big sources of comedy in this is like cishet people go on dates, queer people go on adventures. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, you, you know, there's, there's uh, jokes about, you know, like, oh, I just, uh, two lesbians went on a first date and three days later, you know, they they end up back home. Like it's, and then, you know, jokes about like U-hauling and, and all of that sort of stuff. It's baked into um, queer culture in some ways. And I think that's because uh, dating serves completely different functions for queer people versus like cishet people. And um, this is in some ways, this play kind of gets to act as like culture shock between those two experiences. Cause the, and I think, yeah, that's Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I totally, I totally hear where both of you are coming from. It's just, it's, 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 um, like if you're dating while you're trans and you're dating somebody who's cis, you're coming from two completely different spaces in terms of what you understand about what is normal. Although in some ways, I mean, especially if you're following a really traditional kind of, well, I'm not going to say traditional. If you're following a certain script, which has to do with gender identity that's binary, and where you're a transgender person who's transitioning from one binary to the other, and then you're looking to date within that world of binaries, which is honestly, that's where a lot of the world is. Then what you're expecting and what you experience is hopefully gonna be the same thing that any other binary person is going to expect. But I think that one of the conversations that we've been having tonight um, Mickey, is that it, it It seems like, do you think that there's any, as, as someone who transitions and like moves through the world from one binary to another, like you pass through these conversational areas where you're aware of all of the world of gender, how there's so many different kinds of genders now. Yeah. So do you feel like in any way that we uphold an idea of gender that the rest of our gender fluid community is kind of moving away from? Are we kind of looking at them going away from us as we're, as we're dating? Oh, I see. That's interesting. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I think so. I think, uh, you know, depending on what your age is that you would I mean, I was raised in a time when transgender wasn't necessarily a topic I ever heard about when I was young, and I certainly didn't know that there were going to be uh, non-binary people when I was young. And so I, even though I, I have lots of friends and I work with people who are non-binary, um, in some ways I just had this template kind of imprinted on me. And then young people are growing up with a totally different idea where you know, their gender is not something to be assigned to them by other people. It's something for them to discover. And, you know, they're growing up with this. And so, yeah, I definitely think that's true. Um, yeah, and I, I I have written a different play called Mimetic Desire that's about a young group of people who are like trans and there are non-binary characters. And it, it's all about like kind of uh, incestuous dating within a friend group. And <laughs> I think that one might be a little more accurate to life as it is today. This, I think, is sort of fun. Um, it, you know, it's almost like a debate. It's, it is dramatic and it is funny, but it's a way to bring up these topics about gender. And, you know, you might, I might hope that a, 
a cis person would come and kind of see themselves in the men that are depicted and and learn things and a trans person might come and be happy to hear things vented and said out loud that maybe they thought in their head um so it's like kind of a venue for that to happen um but to your larger point yeah i definitely see that happening yeah well there's something fun about still i mean at least for me there's something fun about inhabiting a territory that's so familiar i I mean i think that for those of us who transition and maybe we're even just a little bit older i mean then it's 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 just for me it's really interesting i mean this isn't really a funny statement but it's not really like a sad statement either it's just it's kind of an observation that i mean i feel like the ground basically just moved under me like the whole world shifted and i felt like when i transitioned i was still transitioning in the world where everything was basically binary mm-hmm. and so i was landing into a world basically that your play covers mm-hmm. but as i did that and i think that we've all seen this happen to us i think you too too. as we've as we've done that we've seen the ground completely shift under us as gender has completely opened up and blossomed into what it is now in the world of you know trans and non-binary people it's blossomed into this this whole thing you know which is just so much more than the world that we stepped into when we stepped into it. And it wasn't that long ago that we stepped into the spaces that we occupy now. Yeah. Does does that sound... You kids these days and your 52 genders and your fully automated <laughs> luxury gay space communism. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, honestly, though, like to this point, I I mean, it's it's... As somebody who... I don't know. I'm an older millennial. I kind of straddle like both sides of this and like it's better. The like the less rigid gender norms, the like the inherent queerness that like and, and I think that it's kind of it's kind of different to say that it's it's new because it's not new. It's just right. more accepted. It's it's broader, you know. He, I mean, take a look at um, you know Stone Butch Blues is a great example of the '70s of of weird like the gender Black nonsense Papa. like that. It, it's not about having definitive answers to this, and it's not about fitting cleanly into molds. It's about these these molds were it, gender was always made up, you know, and um, we're just more we're finally getting to a place in society where we can acknowledge that. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. And I love getting to, you know, have a say in what gender means to me. Thank you so much, Juliet. Uh, We have about five minutes left. Um, If we could kind of do one more uh, round of, uh, if you could tell us again, uh, the name of your play, um, Mickey, uh, where it's going to be performed and um, and when it's going to be playing. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So the play is called My Perfectly Valid Objections. It's a sp- site-specific show, so it'll be happening at the Oblique Coffee Roasters. The address is 3039 Southeast Stark Street, 97214. It will be running from February 10th to February 26th. Uh, shows on Thursday through Saturday are at 7.30. Sunday shows will be at 6 p.m. You can find out more and get your tickets at saltandsageproductions.com. Thanks. Um, so again, we've we've just got a few minutes left, so it's kind of a good time for closing questions, closing comments, um, kind of to wrap up. Uh, does anyone want to step into the last five or six minutes of our show to um, ask Mickey or Juliet, a question. Yeah, I guess I wanted to ask, do you have any plans to do more writing or producing plays in the future? Yeah, yeah, I actually, I'm, it's gonna be a, an exciting beginning of the year for me because this play will happen in February and then in April, Fuse Theater Ensemble will be producing a different play of mine called American Girl. That one, is it's very different. It's a tragedy, it's based, on the true story of Nikki Kuhnhausen, 
who was a trans teen killed in a hate crime in 2019 in Vancouver, Washington. And through volunteering, uh, I got to meet her family and they shared their story with me. And uh, yeah, this will be the premiere of that play. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, we definitely need to have you back for that. Like we've had. Oh, thank you. Um, we had, we've had um, Devin on the show We've had Nikki's mom on the show. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, we covered the trial oh, and wow. um, yeah. it was just, you know, so heartbreaking. And, and um, yeah. so I really, yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's felt like an honor to get to try to share her story. Yeah, that's amazing. Sorry, go ahead, Juliet. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, I'll actually be involved in that as well. I'm uh, assistant directing uh, that show. Uh, along with Sarah Andrews, who will be the uh, the lead director. So. Well, oh, do you have any closing questions, Jean? No. Or comment? Um, so, Mickey, um, your play, um, it sounds like it's going to be really fun and it's probably going to get a lot of laughs. Um, there's a couple of things I was just kind of curious to ask you sort of toward the end of the play, uh, the end of the interview. Um, are there any kind of tropes that um, the play might be exploring from the perspective of the cis men? Like when the cis men are going out on dates with trans women, do they confront some of the questions that typically we see um, cis men having to deal with when they're dating trans women? Like, do they think about if they're gay or, you know, what? What kind of, I mean, what are, what kind of a future would they have with a trans woman? Do you, do you address any of those kinds of conversations in your play? Yeah, yeah, there is one date specifically where the woman uh, on the date does not disclose beforehand and tells him at the beginning. And then he, yeah, he's kind of not so much worried about whether he's gay, but worried about how his friends and other people will perceive him. And that's kind of explored that sort of toxic idea that can lead to, you know, harassment or violence against trans women. Um, so that's one. There's I'm trying to think. What what are some other ones? Do you think, Juliet? Oh gosh, I I don't know. Um, I I think uh, I I think that it is a lot of fun. Um, how apologetic so many of these men are, and I, I mean I because it is consistently the exact opposite of every experience I've had uh, even attempting to date cis men. Um, so there's, there's just something, uh, it's, it's almost like an uncanny valley of like, it's, it's, it's not quite like, uh, like, uh, uh, what a cis man is like, but it, so it's like Soviet propaganda. It's supposed to be teaching. <laughs> it's it's the trans agenda. That's right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, you are, you are so after they watch. Right. I just I love your. I mean, from from the last time we interviewed you at the queers, I love the um the the way that you two play off of each other. I mean, I can see how you really have this gift working together and um, it's just, it's a joy to listen to. So we've been talking, yeah, we've been talking tonight with um, uh, Mickey Gillette and uh, Juliet Milan. Um, They're uh, uh, Mickey's new play, uh, My Perfectly Valid Objections is going to be being performed in February. And uh, so just to kind of close out the show one more time, uh, Mickey, if you can tell us uh, where's the play going to be and how can people find out about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So our play will be at Oblique Coffee Roasters. The address is 3039 Southeast Stark Street, uh, 97214. It's running from February 10th to the 26th. Thursday through Saturdays, you can see it at 7.30 and at Sundays shows will be at six. And you can find out all the details and get your tickets at saltandsageproductions.com. All right, thank you. We've been listening, you've been listening to Transpositive PDX. Tonight we've been talking with Mickey and Juliet about their upcoming play. And that's it for the night. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you so much, everyone. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Nikki.
Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. Good night, everybody. Bye, Emma. Good night. Bye, everyone. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than 2 million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of D.C. Or Nebraska. Or Maine. Or Idaho. Or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture, todas las culturas, throughout human history. And while we're more visible than ever before, sometimes you just don't see us. So when you hear about politicians pushing forward discriminatory bills, know this, these bills address problems that aren't even real. Problems that don't actually exist. But we do. 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 And we need your support. Hi, this is Emma. Um, I am a co-host of Transpositive, and I'm also the current president of the board of directors here at KBU. KBU, we prove every day that people-powered radio has the ability to bring us together across distances and give us hope when we feel despair. Your friends at KBU want to remind you that generosity has the same power. Join thousands of KBU supporters from all around the world, and let's rally together to build stronger communities. If you can, just go to kboo.fm slash give or text kboo to this number 44321. And thanks so much for your support of KBOO Community Radio.
You're listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K2H2BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. Thank you. 